listen. And we are back. Brand new episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A read-along pod where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jimbo Butcher, a longtime Dresden vet. And this is my first time through. And together, we try to bundle up and stay warm enough to get through one last podcast. Good <laughs> Ice. I'm doing all right. It is definitely cold here. Probably colder where you are, but I'm still going to complain. <laughs> oh, no. It's in my uh, 30s today. We're Ooh. back to a normal. Practically day. balmy. Practically balmy. It's above freezing, at least. You know, it was, uh, it was pretty miserable here for a few days. I'll bet. We've had a lot of rain. Oh, yeah? Yeah. We got, like, almost no rain, which is too bad because I was hoping for snow. But it just got, it was down in, like, the mid-teens, like 16, 17 Brr. at one point. It was no bueno. I uh, didn't want to leave my house on Sunday, so I ordered a pizza, thinking, <laughs> assuming that it would be a normal situation. But no, the dude gets to the, the door with a bike helmet. I'm like, are you biking right now? I'm like, yeah, it keeps me warm. I was like, that's it. Okay. So that's a bad. Pacific Northwest for you. We fucking edited the tip. But, uh, <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, I couldn't imagine. So I haven't left my house since before that, obviously. Yeah. Um, um, the pod eventually got out this weekend. It was quite a bit late. We were having we were having struggles of the technical and personal variety. I'm sorry. Um, just a nightmare. I uh, I posted about it. I went and got <clears throat> I went and got six donuts. Uh huh. Just sat in front of the donut store eating six donuts. Oh goodness. It was that kind of weekend. Hmm, I'm sorry. But after a fashion, we got out. I have no idea. Just I just kind of gave up on the actual editing. And just slumped in the music. So hopefully towards the tail end, it doesn't sound that bad. But um, I like, it got deleted. It could so say, yeah, it was, oh, it was no. a whole to do. Um, oh, I'm sorry. It was all, all user error. And then at a certain point, I just said, you know what? I'm either going to burn this place down or I'm going to hit submit. And so I hit submit and let God sort it out. <clears throat> but, what, <laughs> but what can you do? Besides it being frigid, you get up to anything exciting this weekend? No, not really. I worked, so. I didn't work. I was supposed to have a tournament. I think I mentioned this already on the pod. I was supposed to have a tournament, but because of the ice, they canceled it. So now I have one next weekend. Fingers crossed. We're at chunk two this week of White Knight. We had just gotten through some explosive reveals last time through. What did you think about this chunk here? That was great. Yeah. Another building burned down. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't my fault. It, no, it was not his fault this time, or ours for that matter. Well, you want to uh, catch us up in universe there, and then I will hop into chapter seven. You betcha. All right. So let's see. There have been some women who have been dying in very mysterious ways. They're listed as suicides. But when Harry goes to the first scene of the dead body, he sees a, a uh, Bible verse on the wall, which is just suffer not a witch to live. And he learns that the several of the people that are deceased are part of a coven of the order of the large cooking pot he checks in with them and they are seemingly suspicious of him murphy's car goes boom and there is a possibility that a succubus is involved in one of the deaths and that's about where we're at after murphy's car goes boom wow I like the his reaction to the explosion, not just him laughing at Murphy. Mm -hmm. 
I like that too. But there's got to be a temptation to get him to like throw up a shield and you know like do something cool here because you have a superhero main character. Mm-hmm. But the reality is he wasn't prepared for anything. They're just walking and there's an explosion. He just gets ex- exploded, right? Like I like I like that. Yeah, um, because he is all powerful, but he talks about it all the time as a wizard. You know, a magi. Like there's a reason it's the same root as as wise when he's prepared and he has time he's as good at any he's good at anything basically he can mm-hmm. crush any situation but just an explosion in your face is a perfect example of not being prepared for yeah so he um isn't prepared and he gets ex- exploded just like murphy does um <laughs> her poor saturn is no more and he starts laughing about before this interaction with the order of the large cooking pot Murphy and Harry had been arguing over who's more of a control freak and (laughs) it was connected to who was driving to this event. He wanted to drive. She said no. And she refused to drive unless she refused to look up the address, unless she also got to drive them there. And so as they were walking out and the bomb goes off, he acquiesces and gives her the fact that he's too much of a control freak. And he's glad that she was driving, (laughs) which Which is pretty spectacular. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, she asked if he's okay. He says, I, I clipped my shoulder on a mailbox. I could probably take an aspirin. Not just just one, not a whole dose or anything. Um, <laughs> God, you're such a whiner, Dresden. Bomb, you think? <laughs> Which might be my favorite line of the whole thing. The bomb, you think? Just because, yeah, obviously. <laughs> you think? But, you know, they do have a quick back and forth trying to figure out who's bomb. You know? It's a reasonable question, truth be told. Fair, but where you know Murphy says I I haven't annoyed anyone new lately. Neither have I. You've annoyed a lot more people than me in Toto. Um, they clearly have a they're a little they're they're very shook shook up here, right? I mean, you know, oh, yeah, no matter who you are, a, bo- a car bomb going off right in front of you like is iffy. You know, she in- immediately brings it around back around to Mrs. Beckett, which again I mentioned this last week that I thought she was unfairly targeting her and it's just another example of that right like there's a car bomb we know nothing about anything and you immediately blame helen beckett like yeah she's an ex-con but she had nothing to do with car bombs like she was arrested for naked shooting um and potentially some some connection to the drug ring but like she i don't know i, I still don't like it i don't like how quickly she's i just feel like that's one of those uh like we're culturally supposed to think that that's a normal connection to make. And if you take one second to think about it, it's really not. And it's really offensive to me. At least it makes it like just the idea that she's always going to be the first person you think about when there's a bomb going off and stuff. I don't know. I don't like it. Um, this is, I mentioned this last week. I, I kind of been confused where this conversation took place. Um, so hopefully after reading this and listening to my confusion on the pod last week, it comes back. It makes a little bit more sense (laughs) where Murphy really now wants Harry to go look at Thomas and he doesn't want to think of his brother as a suspect. Mm -hmm. But at this point, they really, he really does have to go check it out. And so, you know, where Murphy says, I'm sure he's not involved, but, and Harry cuts her off and says, yeah, but he knows the incubus business, which isn't at all what she was going to say. But they kind of let it go because, Harry needs it to be, it needs it to be that. And then they move on. Um, And so 
she sh- shuffles Harry away, um, which, is, which just makes it a little bit easier for her to answer questions if he's not there. She's also taken some time off, a leave of absence from her cop duty. <laughs> so she's off duty. She shouldn't really be hanging out with him all that much, which is dumb because they're friends, but it'll just, there'll be questions to ask. Uh-huh. So she sends him home. And as he gets there, you know, he, a little bit gassed, he shuffles down the, the uh, steps to his basement apartment. We, we see Mouse has continued to grow and progress as a character. Mouse can go get the... Um, I'm very impressed with that, by the way. He can go get the mail by himself. Oh, 100%. And while he's out there, he can go to the bathroom. Right. He gets it all done. He really is a clever boy. Such a sweet boy. He tries calling his brother to no avail. Goes through the mail. He's got some junk. And he's got another letter from Larry Fowler threatening with a lawsuit for blowing up his studio, which is fun. Goes into a drawer and he takes out a ring with a single key on it. And it is for Thomas's new place. Thomas had given him a key just in case, you know, he needed to get there for an emergency. Thomas still had a key to the basement as well. Mm-hmm. I've mentioned this in the past that he suspected Thomas has, has come back to look in on his place to try to catch the housekeepers uh-huh. in action. And I love that. Or perhaps to fix Little Chicago. Or perhaps to fix Little Chicago. That's fair. He could have done that as well. Which I said a couple <laughs> I, episodes ago. That was your that was your theory and you're sticking to it. So he grabs Mouse and they head over to Thomas's, but he tells him he, before they get out of there, he needs to get the arsenal. <laughs> He's got his new and improved shield bracelet, three silver rings, blasting rod, his staff. Does he put the gun in his pocket? He probably puts a gun in his pocket as well, even though he doesn't mention it. He gets to the beetle and he checks underneath for a bomb, which is just funny. Um mm-hmm. Mostly because he's so tall, trying to fold down. and, and That's what that his... was in my, because, and beetles are so low to the ground. Mm-hmm. It made so me giggle. We had this discussion back and forth about whether or not a beetle was an appropriate vehicle for someone of his height. Uh-huh. Uh, Matthew on um, Patreon replied on the, uh, whatever, I'm gonna, replied last week that um, I guess he's got a lot of people in his family that are 6'4 and taller. And his dad swears that a VW is the best car he's ever had for headroom. The seat's low and the curve of the roof is great for tall guys. Beetle's the best you'll get below Hummer SUV big truck. Huh. We little old me had no clue. (laughs) So. I I didn't either. I I guess you think about the rounded roof. I did think about that. But like, like Eric said, I guess if you know where to put all the interior, you can find a place for your big old body. Yeah. Uh, Thanks, Matthew. Appreciate you, man. That's spectacular. Well, and it is funny because, you know, neither of us have that issue. Yeah, no, the, most cars I can find a way to squeeze into. I mean, I'm I'm usually the one riding bitch in the back. So <laughs> I have short legs. <laughs> Just how it goes. So he squeezes into his taller than expected beetle. And we head down oof, to one of the new buildings in Cabrini Green. We kind of talked about that neighborhood before. It's one of those like forcibly renewed <laughs> gentrified kind of um neighborhoods it's right next to the gold coast fancy expensive place um so he assumed thomas was in one of those buildings but he wasn't he was in the gold coast which is funny how close they are but also still like very clearly so different differentiated yeah exactly and he says the doorman's shoes were nicer than any he he owned <laughs> it's just like tells you what you need to know 
Um, he opens the door with Thomas's key and he marches to the elevator with Mouse smartly at his heel. The doorman watches him but doesn't say anything. Um, interaction is, is interesting. Um, I've never lived in a fancy schmancy apartment complex, but I've known people who have. And there's some similarities here where, like, they just know who lives there. And if you don't, it's a conversation as you, you know. Um, he gets to Thomas's apartment on the 16th floor without anyone challenging him quite yet. He opens the door, and it is chic, is the word he uses, but it's unlike anything we've seen Thomas Thomas before. We know a little bit about this, our vampire, and this doesn't seem like him. Um, it's very clean, first off, very art deco. Um, and everything matches. Everything matches. <laughs> There's a TV too big to ever fit in the Beatle. Um, surround sound, video game stuff. And movie posters decorate the walls. The Wizard of Oz and the Pirates of Penzing. Um, Which is such a weird combination. It's a weird lot of things. Um, or it's, it's supposed to be kind of say, uh, talking about a prominent politician where people say he's a, a poor man's vision of a, a, a rich man, a stupid person's version of a rich per, of a smart person. Um, I think this is like a bozo's version of a hip gay guy's apartment. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he doesn't know what it's supposed to look like, so he's just kind of guessing. Um, but um, there's no dirty dishes, no half-open cupboards, no food stains, no papers lying about. Every single horizontal surface in the place was empty and sanitized. And he checks the cupboards, and everything's in neat stacks. Um, my brother's dead. He's been replaced by some kind of obsessive, compulsive evil. <laughs> um, he checks the fridge, and there it starts to finally look like Thomas. There's a bunch of Max microbrews in there. Um, being kept cold, which, you know what, Mac, when you sell them to me, end of transaction, I'm going to put them wherever the fuck I want at whatever the fuck temperature I want. <laughs> Mac's judginess every time I want to drink a cold beer. <laughs> a rump. A rump, I say. Um, there's two, he goes down the, the hallway, leads to the bedrooms, and he gets, ex he has a snore of triumph when he gets to one of the bathrooms. Because Fantastic. This is Thomas. <laughs> it's in disarray. There's shit on the floor. It's just not at all congruous with what's happening in front of house here. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, he, he and Mouse just realize it's a disguise. Um, it's a disguise. Uh, we're not really sure what for or why, but definitely the front is supposed to have a certain look to it that's going to disguise who he really is. Um, he goes in one of the bedrooms as is very clearly Thomas's bedroom. He's got his cavalry saber. Um, another more musketeer looking sword. Um, again, not super clean or anything like that. Um, he's going to leave him a note and then the phone rings and he waits and it is a woman with her voice pouring out like warm honey. Thomas, it's Alessandro. I'm desperate for you. Oh, please, I need to see you tonight. She leaves her number and her voice makes it sound like foreplay. By the time she hung up, I had begun to feel uncomfortably voyeuristic for listening. Um, at least he knew now how Thomas had been feeding his hunger. Alessandra and so many others must be supplying him. He felt ambiguous about that. It, the, it is safer for him to split it up over multiple people. Mm-hmm. But that still means he's damaging multiple people. It's just, there's no good way to be a white court vampire. There really isn't. Wielding such authority over others 
would provide a great many temptations. And Thomas had been distant, very distant. Don't get carried away, Harry. He's your brother. Innocent until proven guilty, right? I replied to myself. He was going to leave Thomas a note, but he didn't have any paper handy. So he went and checked the bedroom, the second bedroom. And after he flicked on the light, his heart stopped. The room looked like the office of Rambo's accountant. There's a desk and computer against one wall. I love that one. Tables lined two of the others. One of them dedicated to the neatly organized disassembly of a pair of weapons. Some machine guns I didn't recognize right away. I didn't ever recognize the kit for home converting the weapons from legal semi-automatics to fully illegal automatics. A second table looked like a workbench with the necessary tools to modify weapons and custom assemble ammunition. It would not be difficult to create explosive devices, such as pipe bombs, what he had there. If the heavy storage containers under the table contained, as I suspected, explosive compounds. Oh, a nasty thought went through my mind. They could just as easily be used to create incendiary. One wall was covered with corkboard. There were papers tacked up on it, maps, photographs. I walked over to the photos with heavy, reluctant feet. There were photos of dead women. I recognized them all, the victims. The photos were those instamatic kind. I'm assuming he means Polaroids. I think so. But I think, you know, it's a... Kleenex tissue. Yeah. Vision. They were a little grainy. The images lit by the harsh glare of a flashbulb, but they covered many of the same angles as the police photos. There was one difference, though. The police photos had all been neatly indexed with small placards with large printed numbers appearing in each shot, accompanied by a meticulous written diagram according to their, recording their relative positions and what they showed, locking the scene down for future reference. Thomas's photos did not have any such placards, which meant they could only have been taken before the police got there. Holy shit, what was my brother thinking? Leaving all this stuff sitting out here like this, anyone who came by with an only slightly biased point of view could come to the conclusion that he had been at those sites before the police. That he was a killer. I mean, I was his brother, and even I thought it looked damn peculiar. For reals. Hell's bells, I sighed to Mouse. Which, again, more evidence that Harry is the dumbest person alive. Can this day get any worse? Just asking for it, brother! A heavy, confident hand delivered a short series of knocks on the apartment's door. Security, called the man's voice. Here was Chicago police. Open the door, please. Right, row. It can always get worse, Harry. Always. And that's the thing. We've we've discussed this. Don't say that shit. Don't put that out into the universe. Ugh. He always does. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Well, and even even at one point, Thomas said, Really? Really? You're gonna say that? <laughs> like, come on, bro. And so Harry says he only had a couple seconds to think. And he figures, you know, if they can't, if they can't came in and they were thinking he was trouble, they might be suspicious and look around. They'd find the war room. And he said, I'd be buying us both more kinds of trouble than I could count. And he's looking around. He sees the trying to come up with a lie. He looks around. He sees the immaculate, stylish, tracklit living room. There's Dorothy, the Tin Man, the Scarecrow and the Cowardly Lion. The Pirate King with the shirt manfully open to his waist. That didn't give him any ideas. And then it hit me. Well, Thomas, no, I, it didn't give me any ideas that'll help in this moment. Right? Like. <laughs> there, might be some, there might be some ideas. In both of those. And then it hit me. Thomas had already established the lie. He'd used it before, no less. And it was just his style of camouflage, too. All I had to do was play up to it. I can't believe I'm about to do this, I told Mouse. Then I set my coat and staff aside, took a deep breath, flounced to the door, 
Oakman de- and demanded, sent you, didn't he? Don't try to lie to me. A patrol cop, God, she looked young, regarded me with a polite, bored expression. And he says that it was Tomas, that he's not man enough to meet him himself. He sent his bully boys to do it for him. And the cop let out a long, suffering breath, which I, you can, you can hear it. She's just like, <sighs> oh, God, you know. And so the security guard is there behind him, behind her, rather. And he's not a known resident. So it's standard procedure to ask a few questions, even though he entered with a key. And so Harry said, he settled for everything in his Murphy interpretation voice, which I love that that's the voice he goes with. His impersonation of Murphy. His impersonation of Murphy, which is fantastic. Yeah, that's great. Why don't you start with why he hasn't called me? Hmm? After, after giving me his spare key, ask him why he did, hasn't come to visit the baby. I pointed an accusatory finger at Mouse. Ask him what his excuse, ask him what excuse he has this time. And then we learn from the security guard that Thomas hasn't listed him as giving him access to the apartment. He hasn't listed anyone, in fact. He better not have. I have given him years, years, and I will not be cast aside like last season shoes. I shook my head and told the young cop in an aside voice, never date a beautiful man. It isn't worth what you have to put up with. And the security guard is uncomfortable as all get out. I'm sorry to um intrude, but part of what our residents pay for is security. May I see your key, please? So he gives a key to the security guard and the security guard confirms that this is a original resident key. And the security asks for his ID and he gives it to him and he has a copy of it. And the cop apologized. Not your fault, officer. So you and the owner are uh, where something. You can never get the pretty ones to come in and say exactly, can you? No, generally no. Her tone of voice stayed steady, her expression mild. But I knew a poker face when I saw one. And he makes up this story about they were living together, which they were. And they got a dog, which they did. And they didn't know the dog was going to get so big. Tomas was feeling crowded, so he moved into his own place, and we were supposed to switch off every month, but he always had some excuse. He didn't want the dog slobbering around his little neat freak world. The cop looked around and nodded politely, but she hadn't been convinced. Not completely. I saw her putting a few thoughts together, formulating more questions. Mouse pulled it out of the fire for me. (laughs) So Mouse comes up and uh, greets the cop, and the cop says, good lord, he's huge. Oh, he's a big softy, isn't he? And Ma- Ma- Mouse sits down, gives her, gives her a paw. She laughed and shook. And then she started pe- scratching behind his ears. And he compliments her, saying that she knows dogs. And we learn that she's training for a canine. And he likes you. That's unusual. He's usually a great big chicken. I think dogs can tell when someone likes them. They're smarter about that kind of thing than people give them credit for. So Harry starts asking about the canine job. And she starts talking. Harry keeps her, in- keeps her going with some questions and and not interested nodding. And Mark Mouse demonstrated his ability to sit and lie down and roll over. By the time the security guy and his apologetic expression got back, Mouse was sprawled on his back, paws waving languidly in the air, while the cat scratched his tummy and told me a pretty good dog story about her own childhood and an encounter with a prowler. And so the, the cop apologizes for the inconvenience, but since he's not a resident, they have to have, you know, procedure. And he says, I hate to inconvenience you, but until we do have that written authorization from Mr. Wraith that he wishes you to have full access, I need to ask you to leave. I know it's just paperwork, but I'm afraid there's no way around it. Typical. Just typical. And I understand you're just doing your job, sir. Let me go to the bathroom and I'll be right down. So he brings Mouse back inside and closes the door, partly. And he hears this conversation between the cop and the security guard. Are you sure? 
oh, absolutely. Tomas is as queer as a $3 bill. Have any other man? Did he, he have any other man here? Once or twice. This tall one is new, but he does have one of the original keys. He could have stolen it. An NBA-sized gay burglar who works with a dog? The security guard replied. We'll make sure he's not stealing the fridge when he comes out. If Wraith is missing anything, we'll point him right at the guy. We've got him on video, eyewitness putting him in the apartment, a copy of his driver's license for crying out loud. If they're in a relationship, how come this Wraith guy never cleared his boyfriend? Security guard says something very bigoted and derogatory. And he's just covering his ass, so to speak, the cop said. Security guy missed, his, missed the irony in her tone and let out a smug chuckle. Like I said, we'll watch him. Do that. I don't like it, but if you're sure. And the security guard says, so eloquently, I don't want a jilted queen making a big scene. No one wants that. Evans, no, the cop said, her tone flat. Thank God for bigotry. Bigots see something they expect, and then they stop thinking about what is in front of them. It's probably how they got to be bigots in the first place. And so Harry goes back to the war room and looks at the board with maps and notes and pictures and diagrams. And he closes his eyes and opens his mental defenses and says to himself, take a memo. And then he looks and scans the, the board, not looking at anything directly, and heads out of the apartment. Then I went back to my car and headed home to seek counsel from a fallen angel. <laughs> he picks up some burgers on the way home, four for him and four for Mouse. He got onion rings too, but Mouse did not get onion rings because boobs. <laughs> Uh, by the time he'd finished eating, he was entertaining thoughts of putting off the investigation until a full night's sleep. Pulling all-nighters had been more difficult than it was, but getting more difficult than it had been when he was 20 and full of what his old mentor, Ebenezer McCoy, would term vinegar. <laughs> As in piss therein. Um, it's interesting. This just this conversation, which isn't really germane to a whole lot, but we're talking about, like, staying awake isn't hard. Like, as you're older, like, you don't need as much sleep as kind of like a standard human trope. I don't want to say trope, but that's the best Convention. Convention. Life. Like, old guys don't need as much sleep, but also, like, you don't bounce back. I don't know. It's just, it is weird, like, how the body changes. He's aging lower than a normal human in a lot of ways, but also, like, his body's under more stress than the average human. So he's aging faster in a lot of ways, too, if that makes sense. It's, just kind of interesting how different human experiences affect him. I don't know. This is probably something that only I nerded out about, but I got real, I got real into this paragraph. <laughs> oh, but um, the, he talks about his healing X factor where he should have just stiff joints and pains and scars and stuff, but he's doing a little bit better because of his wizard healing. <sighs> Magic basically heals you. And that's kind of why he has this enhanced lifespan. That's why he's able to, you know, bounce back from all these concussions he gets every single day of his life, et cetera, et cetera. He does need to sleep, but long story, he decides not to go to bed right now because Thomas might need his help. He does some, tries to play some guitar with his maimed hand. It helps him, physical therapy, try to get his movement and his dexterous, um, just gets the use of his hand back slowly but surely. It's something that he needs to keep up with. So he starts playing guitar. And as he does so, he starts to have a conversation with Lash. So, okay, Lash, let's talk. Lash, do I merit Should it nickname now? One minute, there was no one sitting in the recliner facing the sofa. The next, a woman sat there. Poof. Just like magic. She was tall. Six feet or so, and built like an athlete. 
Generally, when she appeared to me, she appeared as a healthy-looking young woman with girl-next-door good looks, dressed in a white Greco-Roman tunic that fell to mid-thigh. Plain leather sandals had covered her feet, their thongs wrapping up around her calves. Her hair color had changed occasionally, but the outfit had remained a constant. I'm not, in fact, that woman. I'm only her shadow. Her emissary, a figment of your own perception, and a guest within your mind. Guests get invited. <laughs> I just love good point, good point. I'm a, I, everyone who listens to this by now knows I'm a huge Lachiel stan. Um, <laughs> I don't think she, I think she gets a bad rap is all I'm saying. Um, she gives him precise instructions to get rid of her. Take up the coin. She'll rejoin the rest of herself. Have I not given you sufficient space? Have I not done as you asked? Remain silent and still. When is the last time I have intruded? The last time we spoke, my host. He hits a bad chord, grimaces, starts over. New Mexico. And that wasn't my choice. Of course it was. It is always your choice. Which... Sums up their relationship very well. Mm-hmm. That, right? It's not his choice to do it. It's like, no, no, no. It is 100% of the time your choice. <laughs> like, there's no other way around it. We all, I, you only use me when you choose. And that right there, interestingly, is one of the like best pieces of evidence for her nefariousness. I don't know. I just, that sentence right there even made me kind of take a second. Um, <laughs> But again, we get a reference to New Mexico that we'll have to talk about mm-hmm. as we get into analysis here. Um, <laughs> we talk about how Harry doesn't speak ghoul and Lash says that, well, yeah, none of you ever lived in ancient Sumeria. Obviously. So he need, he obviously to, reasonable. Of course. Well, he needed to speak ghoul so that he could get, he needed the, the ghoul language so that he could get the kids back. There wasn't time for anything else. You were a last resort. And tonight, am I a last resort tonight? It's Thomas. Ah, yes. You care for him a great deal. He's my blood. Allow me to rephrase the observation. You care for him to an irrational degree. Why? He's my blood. I understand your words, but they don't mean anything. They wouldn't. Not to you. I see. No, you don't. You can't. Do not be too sure, my host. I, too, had brothers and sisters once upon a time. I stared at her for a second. God, she sounded sincere. She isn't, Harry, I told myself. She's a liar. She's running a con on you to convince you to like her, or at least trust her. From there, it would be a short commute to the recruiter's office at the Legion of Doom. I reminded myself that too much dependence on her would be a very, very, very bad thing. But she still looked sad. He's lumbering through some guitar pieces that is supposed to sound like classic Spanish guitar, the last one. And he describes it as something painful to listen to. Except this time. This time he was playing flawlessly, faster than usual, throwing in a few licks, vibrato, some nifty transitional phrases. And it sounded good. Like Santana good. When he finished, he looked up at Lachiel. She was watching him steadily. Illusion? I asked her. She gave a small shake of her head. I was merely helped. I can't write original music anymore. I haven't made any music in ages. I just helped the music you heard in your thoughts get out through your fingers. I circumvented some of the damaged nerves. It was all you otherwise, my host. This is about the coolest thing Lashiel ever done for me. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. The survival-oriented things were super. But this was playing guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, I, Honestly, he's asked a good question. Could evil, true, capital E, evil, do such a thing? Help create something whole and lovely and precious? 
Careful, Harry. Careful. <laughs> oh, I just love, I mean, I love every scene with Lashiel in it, so I'm going to just sit here and marvel at them. But also, just that back and forth there, like, no one's the villain in their own tale, obviously. Like, that's kind of a, or just about no one anyway. Um, Lashiel doesn't think what she's doing is evil. Thomas doesn't think what he's doing is evil, whatever it may be. Um, and just like, she just throws him some, some guitar. <laughs> you know, like, here, play some, play some guitar. I don't know. I just every part of it is just very interesting and kind of uh, their relationship as it grows and progresses muses me. Um, and him just being awestruck by like just the dumbest guy thing, like, <laughs> oh, he's just made me cool. Right. I love that. Oh, some good stuff. So they finally move on to the matter at hand, which is Thomas's apartment and its contents. And she does a pretty cool. Again, the cinematic version of this is really awesome to behold, where she just kind of waves a hand and the wall across from the fireplace changes. Mm-hmm. And now it's that wall from Thomas's bedroom. Um, that's just is a really cool tableau here. Um, she says it's even lit, or Harry says that it's even lit in the same way as the apartment. Every detail was faithful to what he'd seen earlier that night, which makes sense. It's so cool. Um she, you know, she starts by talking and says, my host. And he says, no, 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 not yet. Let me look at it unprejudiced first. Then tell me what you think. Um, so he takes almost an hour going through it. Realizes that she was following several people, the dead women and at least a dozen more in different parts of the city. He kept up running surveillance, probably had hired a detective or two to cover some of them. Um, he has a notebook, you know, with the list of names here. And he says, these are the names of the folks he was ah, stalking, I suppose. My guess is the other people on this list are among the missing folks the ladies in the Orbo Lemes told us about. Go to the large group. Think you, Thomas, preyed upon them? I started to deny it. Instantly and firmly stopped. Reason, judgment, rational thought. He could have, but my instincts say it isn't him. Why would it not? Upon what do you base your reasoning? Upon Thomas. It isn't him. To engage in wholesale murder and abduction? No way. Maybe he fell off the incubus wagon, sure but he wouldn't inflict any more harm than he had to. Isn't his way. Um, and she brings up a really good point. Lash says that not by his, not his way by choice. Mm-hmm. He might not be acting of his own volition. He has another point of weak. You know that Lara Ray, his sister, has kind of mind-controlled people in the past, specifically father. But also, she holds Justine. She was his brother's, well, I don't know if there's a word for what she was to him. But he loved her and she him. It wasn't their fault, but she was a slightly insane and he was a life force devouring creature of the night. Oh, goodness gracious. So perhaps Lara had put some pressure on him with respect to Justine. Still things have, seems a bit of a stretch just because of how like in-depth this is. Mm-hmm. Still doesn't seem to me the way that Thomas would do any of it, even if he were. But if she threatened to, you know, to kill Justine, he would do just about anything i think we'll we'll see um at the top of the map wall deal rested a single square yellow sticky note and it read in a heavy hand ordo leves find them damn it thomas get rid of it he says to lashiel um and she blows his mind yet again when she says there's something else you should know my host what's that it may concern your safety and the course of your investigation May I show you? The word no came strongly to mind. I was already in for a penny, so to speak. Briefly, she nodded, rose, 
And suddenly, I was standing in Aunt Ash's apartment, as I had been that afternoon. My host, remember you how many women you observed entering the building? Sure. Many as a half dozen at the right look. Though anyone who arrived before Murphy and I got there could have already been inside. Precisely. Here. She waved a hand, and the image of me appeared in the apartment's entryway, Murphy at my side. Anna Ash, can you describe the others in attendance? Ellen Beckett, leaner and more weathered than last time I saw her. Beckett's image appeared where she'd been standing by the window. I pointed at the wooden rocking chair. Abby and Toto were there. Uh, two on the sofa, one on the loveseat. Three shadowy forms appeared in the named places. The pretty one in the dance leotard, the one worried about time, she appeared. Point at the shadow figure next to her. Bitter, suspicious Priscilla was not being polite. That shadowy figure became Priscilla's image. And there you go, I said. Lachiel shook her head, waved her hand, and all the people <clears throat> and the people images all vanished. All except the shadowy figure sitting on the love seat. Link, what can you remember about this one? Cracked my brain. It's usually good for this kind of thing. <laughs> Nothing. Not one damn detail. Nothing. Someone was under a veil. Someone good enough to make it subtle. Hard to tell it was there at all. Not invisible, so much as extremely boring and unremarkable. In your favor, I should point out that you had crossed the threshold uninvited, and thus were deprived of much of your power. In such circumstance, it would be most difficult for you to sense a veil at all, much less to pierce it. It was deliberate. Anna goaded me into walking over the threshold on purpose. She was hiding Miss Mystery from Entirely possible. Or... Or they didn't know someone was there either. And if that's the case, toss the notebook aside with a growl and rose. What are you doing? If the mystery guest was news to the Ordo, she's right in among them and they could be in danger. If the Ordo knew about her, that they played me and lied to me, ripped open the door with more than my usual effort. Either way, I'm going over there to straighten some things out. So Harry heads out to the Beetle. He sweeps it for bombs yet again. And he parks illegally in the street little ways away from Anna Ash's apartment. He buzzes a bunch of buzzers and is eventually let in. This time, though, I went in armed for bear. As I rode up the elevator, I got out my, my jar of ungent, a, brown, a dark brown concoction that stained the skin for a couple of days. I dabbed a finger on it and smeared it lightly onto my eyelids and at the base of my eyes. It was an ointment originally intended to counter fairy glamour, allowing those who had it to see through illusion to reality. It wasn't quite right for seeing through a veil wrought with mortal magic, but should be strong enough to show me something of whatever the veil was hiding. I should be able to glimpse any motion, and that would at least give me an idea of which way to face if things got dicey. <laughs> so our brilliant sidekick mouse is along with us, and as he gets off the elevator, the hairs on his neck stand up, and mouse is looking sharply back and forth down the hall. He'd felt what I had. A fine cloud of magic hung over the entire floor. Initially, he found it's a suggestion of sleep. Not a heavy sleep, but it, it's still a sleep spell. He's used this before. He's familiar with them. He's, come and, he's encountered it before. But this one wasn't like the ones he'd used or seen. It was light and barely noticeable. And not at all threatening. It was delicate and fine enough to filter into homes, even through their thresholds. Most of which were weak enough. Apartments never seem to have as much defense as a real, discreet home. If those other spells had been sleeping medication, this one would have been a glass of warm milk. Someone wanted the residents of the floor to be insensible enough not to notice something, but not so out as to be endangered should there be an emergency, like the building catching fire and burning it down. 
Don't look at me like that. It's a lot li likelier than you think. <laughs> anyway, the suggestion was another finely was another finely crafted spell, delicate, precise, subtle, much like the earlier veil Lashiel had spotted. Whoever or whatever was crafting these workings was a pro. He goes over, he knocks on the door, and he announces himself. And it's silent, so he repeats himself. And he sound he hears a sound. He wasn't sure if so quiet that he wasn't sure if it actually been real. But Mouse's ears pricked up and and leaning forward. He'd heard it too. He hears sounds from other floors and other places on the on uh, he hears sounds from another floor, but there's no further sound from the apartment. And so he stands, he tells Mouse to stand back, and he turned to the ward. It was like a little pig's straw house. It wouldn't last more than a second or two against a big bad wolf. So he, he draws up his will and presses his staff to the door, saying, Solvos, Solvos, Solvos. As the staff touched the door, I sent a gentle surge of will coursing down through its length. It passed through the wood visibly, the carved runes in it briefly illuminated from within by pale blue light. My will hit Anna's door and scattered out in a cloud of pinprick sparkles of white light as my power unbound the patterns of the ward and reduced them to mere anarchy. He called for Anna again. No, there was no answer, and he finds the doorknob unlocked. That can't be good, I told Mouse. Here we go. He gives the door a gentle push but stands back, at which point the trap springs. For traps to work, though, they need to catch their target off his guard. I had my new and improved shield bracelet ready when greenish light flashed into the dark apartment and rushed swiftly towards me. I lifted my left hand. This new shield bracelet had been made to stop pretty much fucking everything. He's a little PTSD about his hand, understandably enough. If there hadn't been a war on, and if I hadn't been spending so much time drilling Molly in the fundamentals and therefore getting in all kinds of practice myself, I would never have considered attempting to create such a complex focus. It was far more complicated than almost anything I'd done before. And the shields formed in front of me was not a familiar translucent part dome of pale blue light. Instead, it flared into place in a blurring swirl of colors that solidified in an instant into a curving rampart of silver energy. The new shield was far more thorough than the old. Not only would it stop everything the old one had, but it would provide shelter against heat, cold, electricity, even sound and light if I needed it to. It had been also designed to turn aside a fairly broad spectrum of supernatural enemies. It was this last that was important at the moment. A globe of green lightning sizzled over the apartment's threshold and abruptly expanded. Buzzing arcs of verdant electricity interconnected in a diamond pattern like the weave of a fisherman's net. The spell fell on my shield and the meeting of energies yielded a torrent of angry yellow sparks that rebounded from the shield, scattering into the hall, the doorway, and bouncing back into the apartment. He fazores, as one does, and though most of the spell's power struck the barrier of the threshold and grounded out, what amounted to less than a percent of the power actually made it through the doorway, as he knew it, it would. Instead of delivering a surge of energy strong enough to flip over a car, I delivered only a blow strong enough to knock an adult woman from her feet. I heard a woman's voice let out a surprised grunt at the impact, and heavy objects clattered to the floor. And then our favorite sidekick, Mouse, goes into the apartment and pins somebody down. 
He goes into the threshold and he knows that his power is going to be gone, which is why I brought my 44 revolver with me, tucked into my tucked into a duster pocket. And he pulls it up and turns the switch on with his elbow, bellowing, I have not had a very good day. <laughs> so 200 pounds of mouse is sitting on somebody. And though he had his teeth bared, he wasn't actively struggling or making any noise. To my right, Anna Ash stood frozen like a rabbit in a spotlight, and my gun tracked to her immediately. Don't move. I don't have any magic at the moment, and that always makes me really, really ready to pull the trigger. Oh, God. Oh, okay. Okay. D don't hurt me, please. You don't have to do this. Do what? What you've done to the others. You don't have to do this. Not to anyone. The others? You think I came here to kill you? You came here, broke down my door, and pointed a gun at me. What am I supposed to think? I did not break down your door. It was unlocked. You tore apart my ward. Because I thought you might be in trouble, you twit. I thought the killer might already be here. A woman let out a couple of choking gasps. After a moment, I realized that it was the person Mouse had pinned down, letting out breathless laughter. For crying out loud, you thought the killer was coming for you, so you laid a trap for him? Well, no. I mean, I didn't do it. The Ordo, we hired a private investigator to look into it. It was her idea to trap the killer when he came here. A private investigator? I looked over at the woman, other woman and said, Mouse, and lo and behold, it's fucking Elaine. He says, and after my heart had skipped a couple of beats, I blinked and said in a very quiet voice, the first woman I'd ever everythinged with. Hello, Elaine. Fucking Elaine. I don't like her. I wonder if hmm. that exact line is very similar to when we see Elaine in Summer Night? It was, I think it was Summer Night. It's a good point, though. I still not like her. Oh, no. But I want to read. So I'm just looking for that. Quote. I said in a bare whisper, fighting through the shock. Hello, Elaine. Yeah. It was a little bit different, but still. Very similar. Uh, hello, Elaine. Um, I just. Bye, guy. I wonder if that will uh, continue when we see Elaine. Just, hello, Elaine. Hello, Elaine. Um, There's not much else to say. <laughs> Lucy is certainly convinced of her badass. We shall see as we progress through it. I um, I just don't trust her. I don't either. There are a couple um ideas for where she may end up. So Harry sit, sit, is sitting on the love seat. Well, Anna makes coffee. Mouse, hoping for a snack, is following Anna. I love Mouse. He follows her to the kitchen. Is sitting there giving his most pathetic, starving doggy body language. <laughs> And we all know that doggy look. <laughs> of course. And, you know, they have a good conversation here where he's, I'm sorry, if, you know, he wasn't trying to scare her, but he was kind of explaining that he was worried. You know, he, he'll, he's happy to replace her ward. And like that, the Ordo worked together and spent a lot of hours on the wards. Mm -hmm. oh, you know, sort of a barn raising type community project. And I, I get the feeling at least that he can do that in a couple minutes. Yeah. Just kind of negligently, um, almost. You know, she's very clearly, though, not well. She's still worried here. And Elaine kind of steps in and says, he, he truly meant you no harm, Anna. He's got this psychosis about charging to the rescue. I always, <laughs> I always thought it gave, gave him a certain hapless charm. I think we should focus on the future for the time being. <laughs> um, how they should pool their work and stuff. There's a um, back and forth, very clearly... Anna picks up that Harry and Elaine have history, just kind of the way that they like bitch at each other back and forth. They're just the way they interact. They're not really fighting, but just like maybe a little bird told me, maybe, you know, 
and they're just like repeating what each other's saying and just basically fighting in a dumb way that only people who have reverted to high school age children because they <laughs> see each other can. And she says that you two were together. <laughs> That's how you know a long time ago. But you never really forget your first. <laughs> you never forget your first train wreck either. Train wrecks are exciting, fun even, right up until the very last part. True. But I'd appreciate if you wouldn't try to dodge questions by throwing up a smokescreen of nostalgia. Um, you know, Sherry explains how he kind of figured it out after the fact, going back through the, going over the facts and the notes of the conversation. He couldn't remember noticing anything about the woman on the love seat, which doesn't happen to him very often. So he figured either it was the what bad. Was <laughs> yeah, something was amiss, right? It, he was worried that it was the bad guy, but. Understandably turns, so, though. <laughs> of course, of course. It turns out that it was Elaine, and she has been working on cases like this throughout the West Coast, San, San Diego, San Jose, Austin, and Seattle. I love that list for no particular reason. <laughs> Just kind of funny. Besides Austin, anyway. <laughs> and the reason she's been working on these cases is she's in the book <laughs> under wizards which is funny yes. um harry is more sure that the wardens aren't involved than anyone else you know and elaine says you know, is it because they're such easygoing tolerant people like no because i know ramirez like, he wouldn't fucking do that yeah um, and i feel like that is true yeah, from what we know about Lowe's for sure, like there's no universe. Absolutely. Yeah. I trust no, him more. He's, than he's not that guy. He's not that guy, pal. Yeah, no, I trust Carlos more than Harry right now. Um, <laughs> but in every single one of those cities, a man in a gray cloak was seen with at least two of the victims. So it's something, some wicked this way goes. And this paragraph here is Harry's not talking to anyone, he's just thinking to himself, but it's super important. He says it wasn't general knowledge. But someone on the council was leaking information to the vamps on the regular and the devastating basis. The traitor still had not been caught. Even worse, I had seen evidence that there was another organization at work behind the scenes, manipulating events on a scale large enough to indicate a powerful, well-funded, and frightening, frighteningly capable group, and frighteningly capable group, and that at least some of them were wizards. I had dubbed them the Black Council because it was obvious, and I'd been keeping my ear to the ground for indications of their presence. And look, which explains why I hadn't heard anything about it, I said. If everyone thinks wardens are responsible, there's not a prayer they draw attention to themselves by reporting what was happening and asking for help, or calling a gumshoe who happens to be a warden himself. Which is a good point. Yeah, so it's a nice kind of coincidence that Elaine is copying Harry, and she's a licensed investigator in the in the uh, phone book under oh, wizard. Ridiculous. I love it. So, so I knew you were copying my test answers all those years. <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Most of the business comes in on referral because she does good work. In any case, one fact about the killer's victims was always, almost always the same. People who lived alone or were isolated. And I, Anna said, am the last living member of the Ordo who lives alone or isolated. In those other cities, did the killer leave anything behind? Messages? Taunts? Nothing that they could find, anyway, which doesn't necessarily mean that they didn't leave them, right? Yeah, and she might not have been looking. She also might not have the same access that Harry does to scenes. Exactly. Both of those. Which doesn't have the same experience, doesn't have the same abilities, and doesn't have the same access. So it would make sense that she might not. Yeah, she very well may have missed them. 
exactly. So we we can't really we certainly can't rule that out quite. But as we move on here to the list that you know Harry mentions that it could be a white court vampire involved in at least one of the deaths, and which is once again worrisome as fuck. <laughs> also, because it changes the pattern. Um, mm-hmm. It's just something different. So like now, are there competing? Like what's what's going on here? Why is there a second or? You know, is there a white court vampire who has wizarding powers? Yeah, that's another. Anybody... Yeah, no, that's certainly another. I don't know how, how realistic that is in this world, but that was something I thought was like, is there a white court vampire that has these powers? Well, certainly we know a white court vampire who was born of a wizard. Wizarding stock. Exactly. You know, they're, they're working through this conversation. They're working through this conversation and without warning, Mouse comes to his feet. Faces the door to the apartment and lets out a bubbling asshole. What a good boy. The lights go out and he continues to growl. He says, I rose. The lights go out and a very slight, a very slight grid scent tickles Harry's nose. You smell that? Smell what? Smoke. We got to get out of here. I think. Building. <laughs> and it I wasn't Harry this time. It was not. Just barely. Not Harry. <laughs> so Elaine uses her pentacle much like Harry's, to form a green-white light. By its light, I crossed through the door and felt it, like those cartoons when I was little said you were supposed to do. It felt like a door. No fire in the hall. And so they head to the fire fire stairs, and Mouse continued staring at the door, growling in a low and steady rumble. The smoke smell had thickened. Something's waiting waiting for us in the hall. What? Window? Elaine said. My heart was skipping along too fast. I don't like fire. I don't like getting burned. It hurts and it's ugly. Might be able to handle the fall, I said, forcing myself to breathe slowly, evenly. But there's a building full of people here and none of the alarms or sprinklers have gone off. Someone must have hexed them. We mu- we've got to mourn the residents. Mouse's head whipped around and he stared intently at me for a second. Then he trotted in a little circle, shook his head, made a couple of chuffing sounds, and starting do- started doing something that I hadn't heard him do since he was a puppy, small enough to fit. In my duster pocket, duster pocket, he barked loud, steady, woof, 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 with the mechanical regularity of a metronome. Now, saying he was barking might give you the general shape of things, but it doesn't convey the scale. Everyone in Chicago knows what a storm warning siren sounds like. They're spread liberally through the Midwestern states that compromise, that comprise Tornado Alley. They make your usual warning siren sounds. But I had an apartment about 30 yards from one of them once upon a time. And take it from me, that sound is a whole different thing when you're next to it. It isn't an undulating wail. When you're that close to the source, it's a tangible flood, a solid, living, sonic cascade that rattles your brain against your skull. Mouse's bark was like that, but on several levels. Every time he barked, I swear to you, several of my muscles tightened and twitched as if hit with a miniature jolt of adrenaline. I couldn't have slept through half as much racket, even without the odd little jabs of energy that hit me like separate charges of electricity with each bark. It was deafening in the little apartment, nearly as loud as gunfire. He let out twelve painfully loud barks and then stopped. My ears rang in the sudden silence that followed. And then he starts to hear people getting out of bed and leaving, children crying, doors opening and shutting, Mouse sat down again, his head tilting this way and that, ears twitching at each new noise. Hells, bells, Harry, Elaine breathed, her eyes wide. Is that? 
Where did you get a real temple dog? Uh, a place kind of like this, now that you mention it. <laughs> Her dog. So they open the door, and a quick look around the hall. Flashlights are bobbing, and there is a thickening smoke. People were screaming, fire, fire, get everybody out. The hallway was in chaos. I couldn't see if anyone out there looked like a lurking menace, but odds were good, and if I couldn't see them, they wouldn't see me either, in all the milling confusion of hundreds of people fleeing the building. So they head towards the fire stairs with everyone else. Okay, here's the plan. We follow all the other flammable people out of the building before. Whoever did this is going to be waiting outside it's for a murder anymore, but we'll be careful. Me and Mouse first, Anna, you right behind, and Elaine, cover our backsides. Shields, she asked me. Yeah, can you do your half? She arched an eyebrow at me. Right, what was I thinking? I took Mouse's lead in one hand, glanced at my staff, and then said, we're working on the honor system here. Mark, Mouse calmly opened his mouth and held on to his own lead. <laughs> I love that so much. And so they head on out. Mouse and I hit the hallway with Anna right on my heels. We fled. I'm not too manly to admit it. We scampered, rut, retreated, vamoosed, amscrayed. Burning buildings are freaking terrifying, and I should know. This was the first time I'd been in one this occupied, though, and I expected more panic than I sensed around us. Maybe it was the way Mouse had woken everybody up. I saw no one stumbling along the way they would if they had been suddenly roused from deep sleep. Everyone was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, metaphorically speaking, and while they were clearly afraid, the fear was aiding the evacuation, not hindering it. The smoke got thicker as it continued to go. It was harder to breathe, understandably so. And Harry begins to panic. It's the smoke that kills most people, long before the fire ever gets them. But there seemed little to do but press on. Then we were through the smoke. The fire had begun three floors below Anna's apartment, and the fire door to that floor was simply missing from its hinges. Black smoke rolled thickly out of the hall beyond it. We had made it down through the smoke, but there were four floors above ours, and the smoke was being drawn up the stairs like they were an enormous chimney. The people still above us would be blinded by it, unable to breathe, and God only knew what could happen. Elaine, I choked out. Got it, she called back, coughing, and then she was beside the doorway, black smoke trying to envelop her. She extended her right hand in a gesture that somehow managed to be imperious, and the smoke abruptly vanished. So she put some sort of a ward on the door, and we learn that it's permeable to the living. And she's concentrating. We have a minute, maybe two. Permeable? Holy moly. I could never have managed that on the fly. But then Elaine was always more skilled than me when it came to the complex stuff. Right. Move, move. Come on. After that, it was nothing but stairs, bobbing flashlights, echoing voices and footsteps. I run. Not because it's good for me, even though it is, but because I want to be able to run whenever something's chasing me. It did a limited amount of good, given that I was spending half of my time coughing on the still-present smoke. But at least I had enough presence of mind to keep an eye on Anna and the distracted Elaine, as well as making sure that I didn't trip over Mouse or get trampled from behind. When we got to the second floor, I prepped my shield and called over my shoulder. Elaine! She let out a gasping breath, her head bowing forward. She wavered and clutched at the stairs' handrail. Anna moved to support once, moved at once to support her and keep her moving. There was a crashing, roaring sound above us, and cries of fright came down the stairs. Move, move, I told them. Elaine, be ready to shield. Outside, it was not dark. Though the street light beside the building was out, the others on the street worked just fine. Added to that was the fire from the burning apartment. 
It wasn't blinding or anything, since you could only see it through windows, or whenever one of those open or broken, it tended to billow black smoke. I could see it clearly, though. Someone outside the building with a cell phone must have called the fire, called in the fire because an impressive number of emergency vehicle sirens were drawing nigh. The escape bees fled across the, filed across the street, were the most parts, getting to what seemed a safe distance and turning back to look at their homes. He's looking around. He notices this couple in red silk and a bath. He's in a bathrobe. She's in a, in a sheet. Of course he does. I only noticed because I noticed only because as a trained investigator, I have trained myself to be a keen observer. That's when I looked around the rest of the crowd to see if red satin sheets and spike heels were becoming a new fad. And if maybe I should just have some on hand, just in case. I saw the tall man in a gray cloak. He was shadowed by the headlights of fire trucks coming down the street toward us. But I saw the sway of the gray cloak. As if he'd sensed my attention, he turned. I got nothing useful out of his silhouette for identifying him. I guess the gray-cloaked man didn't know that. He froze for a full second, facing me, and then turned and sprinted around the corner. Mouse, I snapped, stay with Anna. Anna then took after, took off after gray cloak. Hot damn. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that ending. I love the spot where we finished up. Uh-huh. Very oh. exciting. Goodness gracious. Back in mm -hmm. the sordid affairs of our wily wizard. Any um, initial thoughts or ideas here as we get into um, analysis? I still don't trust her, but I don't feel as though she's truly a bad guy in this moment. She does seem to want to be helping. She's a little yeah. sketch still, but. Yeah, just her in general sketchiness yeah. doesn't outweigh her. All the reasons that make sense that she's here for Anna and the order of the large cooking pot, for sure. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, the aftermath of the car bomb. Any thoughts there? This is just a very destructive episode of Harry Dresden. <laughs> it really is. We talk a lot about like, oh, not a lot happens here, but there's some good character stuff. A ton. A lot <laughs> happened here. <laughs> this is a very different kind of episode. Yeah, this chunk is explosive. Yes. Four ways in one. Very yeah. much so. I mean, there's some yeah. character shit too, but. <laughs> well, yeah, no, for sure. Mouse gets a lot of uh, face I love time, which Mouse is great. So much. Really hammering home how good of a listener he is at this point. Uh, <laughs> basically, just. It, we, He's magic. It's been very clear over the last few days. He has is not a. Um, Typical floof. Exactly. And we just love Mouse. We love the Mouse so much. He really do. He's such a good boy. But also, I mean, like you say, very clearly, he's not a normal dog. I mean, he's getting the he's getting the mail. He's waiting with Anna. You know, he's just uh, you know beyond him waking up an entire building with twelve barks. We're not even pretending anymore. Basically, no, <laughs> which is great. And I'm okay with that. Any thoughts though on the explosion itself? I want to kind of go in order here. Not not really. I mean, this is things seem to explode around Harry. While we don't often see car bombs, because, you know, it isn't whatever Murphy said in the, the uh, what was the word? Idiom. <laughs> it's not within their, the idiom of, mm -hmm. of uh, his usual homeboys. But, I mean, it's Harry. Harry gets himself into shit. I am curious to see, to see who is the uh, perpetrator 
of said car bomb. Because, you know, it is uh, pretty sketch and messy and not subtle in any way, shape, or form, which is unusual in this world. It seems to be, at least in my opinion, that things are done with much more subtlety. So it makes me think that it's not a supernatural issue, that it's more everyday life kind of event in this in this particular case not the whole not the whole baddie in this but as we've learned in the past there's often multiple layers of baddie uh in every single story yeah. uh, that butcher gives us so there is that for sure for sure um and i appreciate it don't get me wrong <laughs> um everything with thomas very interesting and it's it's straight up making you want to think that it's him which makes me think it isn't him yeah it's, it's you like know, the lady don't too test too much. <laughs> uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. Exactly. It's like, okay, Butcher, I'm not always the sharpest tool in the shed, but I could see this. Uh, that's why I don't think it's actually him. I think that maybe he's trying to figure something out um, that has occurred uh, that is outside our current knowledge of said storyline. Um, and it's just kind of like it's a wait and see sort of situation. But no, I don't think it's Thomas. Yeah, well, we know that there's a pretty man, a tall, you know, a pretty man, and then there's also a tall man in the gray cloak. Mm-hmm. We know Harry's not the tall man in the gray cloak. Well, and it's obviously been confirmed at this point. It's not like Harry is having an out of body episode as said tall man in a gray cloak either. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because that's another thing that it could be. Because you know, in this world, who the fuck knows? <laughs> very, very true. But we've also seen that in several occasions looked like harry to cause trouble mm-hmm. for sure so this could just be another instance of that because obviously there's magic involved because of the the hexing and all of that fun exciting stuff but there's also a little bit of your just run-of-the-mill um thug kind of behavior you know your bad guy your your gangster bullshit where it's um lying in wait for someone um so it's you know create a distraction lie in wait we have that going on here so, you know, that it's it's kind of an interesting uh, combination of uh, methods of bad guyness mm-hmm. of what we're dealing with at this point. And that's a technical term, by the way. Oh, no, I, I, I had to look <laughs> it up in my technical handbook. Um, do you have anything else about like the specifics about Thomas's apartment? Um, I think Thomas is kind of operating like a gigolo. Okay. So, like, the front room is very uh, well-apportioned, and it looks really ritzy and fancy. And we all know Thomas isn't like that. Thomas is a fucking slob. But he doesn't need a fake facade to fuck bitches. But I feel like he's making money. Okay, he needs to make money. That's true. And that's where, that's what it is. That's It's more that than just his... um, Sexy times. Wonderful world of succubus. Succubicity. <laughs> I'm just making up words left and right here. Okay. Have any problem with it? I slept well last night. So, the um, what about Thomas's war room? That I think is part of where he's making money. Making money on the, the the not necessarily the girls, but on doing the work to find out what's going on. Okay. Okay. I just I don't I don't think he's involved. I don't think he's killing people, but he is obvious. Obviously, he's somehow involved, but I don't think he is the um, big bad in this situation in any way, shape, or form. Uh, not just because I like him, but because it does, it's, like Harry said, it's not his character. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, because, you know, we've seen 
Thomas try to be the helpful good guy on multiple occasions. Um, and while he might still be, you know, back in his succubus land, that's why I think he's kind of operating as a gigolo, especially because there are many, many others that conversation from Alessandra. Um, okay. And nothing is ever as it seems in this fucking world. And it's spectacular and frustrating all at the same time. Um, do you have any thoughts on the interaction with Lashio? With Lash? With Lash. Um, I think that he is getting more secure in his abilities to um, not fall for her bullshit, mm -hmm. which is important, obviously. But I think it's also, it's, again, we always talk about Harry's growth, Harry's development, and this is a very clear example of his development and growth. Okay. Does that make sense? A little bit. I love that he gave her, gave her a cheeky nickname. Yeah, that's pretty spectacular. Uh, they, they mentioned New Mexico again. Very mm -hmm. clearly, that's something that's going to continue to come up. Well, and wasn't that where the trainees were? The boot camp? Yeah. Okay. Just want to confirm. Um, so there's a couple of these. You're breaking out. One sec. <laughs> so, last novel, a warden trainee camp was hit mm -hmm. by Red Court. This is not that. This no, is that a, was in Oregon. Yeah, this is a different situation. A different trainee camp. Uh, a different trainee camp, and Harry was present this time. But yeah, yeah, so we don't know much about it. We just know that ghouls took kids. It sounds like he got called in to participate. On some level, yeah. Yeah. But it, it's just another time. They keep mentioning. So at some point, yeah. we have to... It's obvi it obviously is important. It's going to be a major plot point at something, some point yeah. here, yeah. Situationally, we know it has some level of importance that we need to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. The conversation with Lash, I like. That was really some of the very few, like, just character one-on-one -on -one development kind of combos mm -hmm. we got. Very little was, everything else was, like, about something happening. That was just two characters riffing, which we don't have very often in this chunk. Um, very true. You know, but her talking about how she used to have siblings and like it's interesting. It's both humanizing her and kind of giving us insight into how she might be manipulating him. Exactly. It's a one it's a strange one two punch. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It kind of gives you gives the reader whichever they want. Mm -hmm. Right? Like if you want her to be the bad guy, it's very easy to see the manipulation there. Yeah. If you want her to be misunderstood it's easy to see her being humanized right which it oh definitely is, is very clever and i really like that i thought that was very interesting um we go back to the home of anna ash i think we can talk about the the gay panic stuff in a minute unless you want to have a bunch to, unless you want to bring it up here back at anna ashes i loved the spell where he like shot a huge spell in there knowing that he would just get a little bit, little, little bump yeah. on her. Yeah, that was pretty great. I thought that was kind of cool. Although also very dangerous. If for some reason the threshold doesn't take away that power, he just blasted a lane. Remember the Lou Guru where he launched uh, three buildings over? He just did that to a human being. But he thought that he also did it because he thought Anna was in trouble. No, but and I mean, but he, I mean, it was a, it was a, um, what's the word? A educated guess. Yeah, and, and and he was right. You know, the threshold did stop it. But it was just, I just was thinking about that. Like, he had to put, like, a super powerful spell there. Like, he really could have done some damage if he was wrong. Yeah, he oh, totally. He wasn't, so it was fine. Of course not. But just funny. Hmm. 
good stuff. Good stuff. Mouse doing mouse things. We already touched on that. Um, we love mouse. Do you have anything else on the um, analysis? I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff, but yeah, it's there's a lot going on, mm-hmm. which we're not really surprised about because there's always this se- se- this segment of every book. <laughs> uh, what do you have? Any other failing wisdom? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I still love mouse. I do too. I do too. Um, How can you not? Even if you're not a dog person, you still got to love mouse. But I also love how Mouse is uh, play, can play the game, too. Mm-hmm. You know, he can be sweet and charming when he needs to, like with the cop. And he can be, you know, sickum killer with Elaine. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, no, Mouse is definitely far beyond Harry in his understanding of what's supposed to happen here. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, he said it was explosive. There wasn't a whole lot of, like, deep character stuff besides really... Who's playing whom in yeah. the apartment building? And I did appreciate of, that reveal, though, of it being Elaine, or no, the reveal of there being a veiled person there. Yeah, and did, that, you go, did you go back and read? No, I didn't. It like it's just interesting how um it, it sets that whole thing up because she is there's someone there. It's just we just don't talk about her at all, which is how he saw it when Lashiel disclosed it to him. Exactly. Again, Lashio saving the day. Just saying. Constantly. Until she's not. I am excited to learn more about New Mexico. Clearly, that's going to come up. Oh, most definitely. Um, yeah, and there's, there's a reason you're just, you know, he's sowing the seeds here. Yeah. Um, he does that all the fucking time. Yeah, I mean, I guess the next step would be to talk about the yikes. Yikes. Yeah pretty clear um what we're talking about here very awkward sauce but it was it all it did also have a it emphasized harry's understanding of how people respond to things yeah because that i think that's what he was betting on their response and he played in one in that regards because you have to think about it it's a you know a couple midwesterners in yeah i, I mean you I, know I, and that it's just yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a huge problem with Harry's. It's just like, it's weird that that was like where he his brain jumped. I certainly didn't think that that was the, um like, the disguise that Thomas already had. I, I don't know why you have the key. I don't know why you can't make it. Like, hey, man, like, my, my buddy, I have the key. But I, I do understand that they would, they could also be like, it, it's, I, it was used as a distraction. Yeah. It because he was he didn't worked. want them to find the war room, hundred percent, which is understandable. Could it have been done a different way? Maybe. But the other thing is, it's like it's, he he's not good at veils, so he couldn't veil himself. <laughs> but if he had used something like a veil, they saw him on camera going in there, so they would have had to go in. If he'd just been like, "Hey, I'm just you know visiting my brother," that could be kind of suspicious too, because. Why wouldn't his brother been on the, you know, the good guy list? There's just, it's an interesting choice for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like what, what else, what were the, what were the other choices? So certainly it's a yeah. short list. Yeah. Is it the greatest choice? I mean, it worked in the story. Yeah. That's about um, all I got. <laughs> I mean, I also, you know, I mean, a couple of lines that were like, excuse me, you know, intentionally bigoted about, yeah. you know, sleeve round stuff like, 
were the only real one like crossing the line yeah like you know like the security guard was supposed to be kind of like you know a bit of a homophobe and so hit i I think it was played that way and like you know we talk about like character flaws are fine they just need to be punished well they were punished that they missed they missed what they're supposed to see because of it you know and harry mentions that you know the the bigots see what they expect so like yep i um i love how he explains that to mouse to the dog yeah (laughs) i mean it's just Mouse is such a great story element. He's a great character. He's, He's a just listener. a boy. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It is very it funny. I love um, it. I love it. Yeah, so much. It, it's it's one of those scenes, and we see this kind of from a meta standpoint, where in and of themselves, it's not bad, but there's like kind of like a a growing pile of these scenes where like gay people are kind of treated as a as a as a joke. Um, in in this series against, I don't think yeah, it's that, definitely. Oh, oh, it's that bad or it's that overt by any means. Like I said, this is more of a meta commentary, like, and there's yeah. a scene later that like is almost written in as a response to criticisms about these scenes, uh-huh. um, which is a few novels from now and a really weird thing to say to you, but I'm more talking to the, the general listener here about there's a scene later on where they build in. That's very clearly like almost a pushback against the pushback. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like um, it's, it's a, maybe unnecessary thing to say and certainly out of time um, of the story but like i don't i don't think butcher is hom- is homophobic i don't think yeah. he has a problem i at all i think it, this is one of those scenes that like gets kind of pointed to that like you could do better but i i don't super have a problem with it and especially like given the time it's like 2006 or 7 like yeah and it, it it treats it puts a lampshade on the bigotry right i mean yes. it make, it, yes. making fun of making fun of these homophobes for for missing out right and and the clever pop doesn't buy it and she almost blows it up right like yeah you know, i um yeah i don't have and, a super problem also also at least from harry's perspective makes commentary pointing out his bigotry the, the security guards yeah yeah which i appreciated that for sure yeah no i i, I thought it was again it's kind of like an odd choice for the story but it was you know as, about as well done as you could expect or hope yeah but in, and and he and Thomas living together, it's come up several times that they're gay. And, you know, it is that was where I so it made sense to me when he said it's already been established and Thomas has cracked jokes about it. And so it's just like, OK, it's like there are better ways to do it, but I, it makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I it's one of those words. Yikes is the right section for it. But I definitely yeah. don't mean it's all that, you know, atrocious by any means. No. Inelegant could have been a lot worse for sure. Yeah. Um. But not ideal. It's certainly important to point out, not ideal. Beyond that, I guess we're into quotes of the week. I obviously hate quotes of the week. It's 17 different quotes every week. Uh, All right. Chapter seven. I'd lived, which was always a good start in this kind of situation. (laughs) I get it now. He's dead. I said aloud to Mouse. My brother is dead, and he's been replaced by some some kind of obsessive compulsive evil clone. She's running a con on you to convince you to like her, or at least trust her. From there, it would be a short commute to the recruiter's office of the Legion of Doom. (laughs) He's got this psychosis about charging to the rescue. I always thought it gave him a certain hapless charm. I run, not because it's good for me, even though it is, but because I want to be able to run whenever something's chasing me. And the last one, I noticed only because, as a professional investigator, I have trained myself to be a keen observer. I just appreciate that. What do you got? I got onion rings too, but but Mouse didn't didn't get any. (laughs) 
Mister, of course, got an onion because he has seniority. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I skipped the, the dumb poop joke because I don't need the dumb poop jokes in my life. But the cat <laughs> seniority and thus access to a onion ring or two mm-hmm. is, is lovely. Makes um, sense. Given the fact that you're a fallen angel, literally older than time and capable of thought and action, I can't really comprehend. Whereas to you, I'm a mere mortal with a teeny bit more power than most. I thought of it more of I thought of it more as a thinly veiled bit of insolence. Lash. <laughs> oh, the, sec- the second lash at the end of that is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but he loved her. And she him. It wasn't their fault, but she was slightly insane, and he was a life force devouring creature of the night. And then at the end, I rose acutely conscious of the fact that my power was still interdicted by the apartment's threshold and I didn't have enough magic to spell my way out of a paper bag. I love that. Not least because interdicted is, uh, makes me think of interdictor cruisers, which is a very nerdy reference from Star Wars Extended Universe. <laughs> so beyond that, uh, that's what I got. I, oh, you know, bigots see something they expect and then stop thinking about what's in front of them. It's probably how they got to be bigots in the first place. I like that. Good point. Oh, goodness gracious. Beyond that, I guess it's time to... Close the book on this chunk, except for one last very itty-bitty but most important thing. You got a crackpot theory of the week? You betcha. Well, we all know that Mouse is obviously magical, and it kind of confirmed that when he gave little jolts of energy every time he barked. So... I chalk that one up for me being right. And so my new crackpot theory adventure, I think, because I, while I don't think he is the big bad in this story, I do think Thomas has some access to magic of one sort or another. Okay. He is the child of a strong wizard, and I think that he might be dabbling in it. That's my... Why, do you, why or how do you think that? I, I just feel like the when we were talking about it with, uh, um, you know, that the, the big bad... Has to be someone who has some magic, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we have the other death done in, involve a succubus. So the idea that a white court vampire has magic, and maybe that's why he's seeking out the killer of these. Because that both the succubus, alleged succubus style killing, and the what they're calling a suicide, both hexodus verse. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, even an idiot can tell that they're yeah. obviously connected, and so well, I, I think that I think I this it's just this is just kind of the way my brain works right now. Yeah, where it's works. like I I think that there is a connection there, and I think that Thomas is trying to figure out what is happening, and someone is trying to frame him mm-hmm. for such things. Okay, so yeah, that's what we got. Good shit, good shit. A wee bit ridiculous, but that's nothing new or different. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Well, on that note, then I guess we shut this here thing down. I touched on it at the top of the hour or the the, the um, pod episode this week that last week we were a little bit late getting everything out. I do apologize. It was just was a nightmare getting all the editing done. And then um, I needed to go sit in a parking lot and eat six donuts. So it was that I only ate five and a half in my defense. Oh, my God. I would be so sick. How did you eat six donuts and not just puke? I was in a moment. I was having ah, a moment. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, Copy that. So, but we came out the other side of it, 316 pounds, but calmer. We were calmer at the other end of it. And um, Goodness. sometimes you just got to do some damage, you know? 
um, in my youth, it would be much different types of damage. So, so I don't know if it's an improvement or not. I sat and ate a bunch of donuts, felt sorry about myself, went back, barely finished the pod, um, and then got it out eventually. It was like Sunday morning or something like that. So day late, dollar short, but I still appreciate all y'all. And um, we you, can fo- you can follow along with the uh, stumbles and and the uh, high flights of the ones that get out on time on uh, patreon.com slash the podcast was on fire. Patreon.com slash the podcast was on fire. And you can hit us up. We love the uh, convos, the messages, the thoughts, the ideas, the what the Most fuck definitely. are you thinkings <laughs> at um, gmail.com. Um, the podcast is on fire at gmail.com. The podcast was on fire gmail.com we are on all the various socials we're on all the various podcast sites and um remember you have homework if you're not a patreon subscriber you gotta tell one person about the pod every week that's that's just i i didn't make the rules <laughs> except you did <laughs> sure but i just inform we're in a universe where the rules exist okay well uh, okay <laughs> you can talk about the ways and means of the heretofores the, the point is that the rules exist all we can do is enforce them so tell somebody, but also, yeah. Well, and the thing too is like it, you, people listen to their friends about sh- new shit to listen to. So word of mouth is the most important way to spread our awareness, uh, uh, spread awareness of our awareness to, to avoid us. Um, <laughs> either way, patreon.com slash the podcast is on fire. We appreciate you guys so much. Thank you so much. I am going to do my darndest. Actually, I'm traveling this weekend, so if I don't get it out on time, it's not going to get out till like Monday. But I'm going to try to get after it starting tonight and tomorrow, and hopefully have this bad boy ready to go out on time on Friday. Um, remind me, Lisa. Also, I want to send you a hard, like a hard copy of version of it. So if it doesn't go out on time, you I can, can send, but it, okay. redo it on the back. End, I can but, try to fail miserably trying to upload it. Yeah, that too. So hopefully it should work. I'm going to get it timed out, but uh, yeah, I got to finish that moving forward here so uh, we, all have to, we have real lives we have to deal with unfortunately which is so we could do this all the time this would be great I, I wish all right um yeah i think that just about does it guys i appreciate you thank you so much for all your time effort responses listening emails texts messages hugs chest bumps dosidos and i have been josh and i am Alyssa. Fire. And it wasn't my fault. is like there's no insulation uh-huh so it's cold so it's like fucking 20 degrees 35 degrees out there Oof. in there and like Burr. there's just nothing i don't there's nothing i can do yeah <laughs> okay just keep the door closed and hope you have a I don't... window in there yeah you can put um seal your window with saran wrap and a blow dryer and it helps uh if there's any drafts i saw that recently what does that mean like if you only have single pane windows you can put um, saran wrap around the frame 
Uh-huh. And you you can use a, a, blow, a blow dryer to kind of tighten it up. But okay. what it does is it um it seals the window. So you get less cold air coming in. I assumed it was on around the frame, not the window, but maybe. I don't have a blow dryer, so. Oh, well. Yeah, too bad. Put it on the list. Oof, er. I'm freezing is the moral of the story. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just explaining why we're talking about it. All right. You are up. Yes, sir, Bob. Ooh, er. 